Hello there, I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling doing some air drums right now. You like the foo? Love the foo, man. The fight of the foo. The fight of the foo. <sighs> so at two o'clock, we have a subject. The headline <laughs> is Tongue to Bum, a detox story. Okay, it's a good thing you read the words after the colon. (laughs) (laughs) This is something presented by Vita Health. So we'll tell you more about that. That's the the hook, as Richard and Julie like to do. And wouldn't you know, I think we're going to speak to them. While you are weaving a tapestry of dovetail sort of ins and outs here and the segue that we love so much. Julie, are you there? Is it Richard? Uh, It's Julie here to start. Uh, Richard and Abby catching their breath. We're at WPG Cycle. The challenge is over. Uh, We had some amazing news right at the end of the ride, which I will not take credit for. Um, We'll certainly give credit where credit is due. Let's let's start with Richard. How are you feeling? I don't want to get too close. I'm feeling okay, guys. I'm feeling okay. I I thought I I held my own until Abby started doing uh, push-ups on the floor and clapping. I was okay until then. Uh, but it certainly wasn't a humiliation, but I know uh, with 20 minutes left, uh, Shadow left because he said he had a coupon. <laughs> okay, so we need you to we need you to make sure you, you you talk into the phone, Rich, first of all, but it could be those those uh, tiny shorts that you're wearing are cutting off the circulation to the brain. What is up <laughs> with the shorts? Um, well, I, you know, typical guy thing. I, I picked them out without trying them on. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, it's a typical guy thing. And by the way, I met the speaker. Julie didn't want me to actually hold the phone to my ear. Oh, okay. uh, anyway, so so I'm getting her phone all sweaty now. Uh, here's Abby. <laughs> Abby, thank you for being so kind to me. Yeah, I don't know if kind is the right thing to say. I was kind of mean to you. But it was all for a good cause, and we raised a ton of money. Okay, what I don't understand is there was all this trash talk leading up to this, and now you're all conciliatory with one well, another. Come on! That's what, a, that's what a good champion does. I beat him. I embarrass him. So now I take the high road and I say, good job. But you know what? Uh, ultimately, uh, Rich is a good buddy of mine. It was, for, it was a ton of fun doing it. Uh, and we raised uh, $10,000. It was fantastic. So wow. uh, it was a great, great, great event. Now, great fun. And, and, I mean, it wasn't really a challenge. I kicked his butt. Avi, what was, for those who maybe are not quite familiar with what is going on, what was the actual challenge? So the actual challenge was, it was basically twofold. I mean, uh, Rich and I come to Winnipeg Cycle, and he was talking smack on air one day about how he can ride better than me. So I called him out and said, no, you can't. And then we said, no, instead of me and you just racing, let's have a competition, see who can raise more money and who can do better and, uh, you know, better fitness. And and, uh, Rich raised more money than I did, but I beat him in the spin class. And ultimately, it's a win-win for uh, cancer care because we raised all the money for them. Abby, if this was a football game, what would the score be? Like, can you give us an analogy? Uh, performance goes or money raising? Oh, no, the money raising is all well and good. You raised 10 yeah. grand for cancer In care. In your humble opinion, Abby. In my humble opinion, the football game would have been something along the lines of 121 to, like, I'll give him a few. He had a rouge, actually. I wouldn't even give him a field goal. He got a rouge. Whoa. Rouge. That is a but slaughter. Now, no, it wasn't a slaughter. It was just a ton of fun. It was a ton of fun, and we had a lot of people out, and 
Winnipeg Cycle was so gracious to host it here, and uh, it was just a, a great day and a great cause. So I'm happy. I got a great workout in. I burned a thousand calories. Now it's time to go back to work. Richard, are you going to get a new head coach now? Fire your offensive coordinator. What's your, what's your plan for next year's challenge? How are you how are you well, gonna how are you gonna not embarrass yourself so dramatically? Uh, it's Richard now because uh, I think Obby is having some sort of palpitations. Uh, actually, you know, it's a real parallel universe because I'm not sure the spin uh, encounter he was in, but the one I was in is I was pedal for pedal with him. Uh, and I think perhaps Shadow Davis will have a perspective tomorrow morning between 6 and 10. But uh, I have to give credit where credit is due. We had uh, Team Richard, Mike Conkin was here. Uh, he's doing great. KK Pinkowski, her husband Andrew. We had a great team. And in the end, uh, Christy Weiss of WPG Cycle, the one that she's trying to get you out, Brett, on a cycle here, uh, she had a special announcement to make right at the end. We had come in at $8,400, and she's topping that to $10,000. So thank you so very much. You are so very welcome, Richard. My pleasure. Our pleasure. How's it going, guys? It's going great. Nice to hear your voice. Too bad you you weren't in in studio with us this afternoon. I know. I wish I was. I'm very, very sweaty, though. Yeah, well, I, my condolences for being beside uh, sweaty Richard Cloutier. My condolences go out to Julie Buckingham as well, who has to work with that uh, this afternoon. <laughs> Rich, do you at least have time to take a shower? Yeah, I think he has time. Okay. <laughs> I think he'll have a few minutes to shower up and come back. <laughs> well, this is, uh, while you're here, Christy, I mean, your, your business, WPG Cycle, uh, you know, you're all over social media almost every time I look on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, events like this, is this going to be, would you like to make this kind of thing a, a regular event for a place where your business is known for this kind of stuff? Yeah, like, I mean, you know, when you when you have the opportunity to give back, especially to, you know, a cause that's really, really special to you, um, you, you just have to. It's a no-brainer, right? So I would love to make this um, even bigger and better uh, next year. So, I mean, that would be phenomenal if we could do that once a year. Well, Christy, thanks for this. Always great, great to get some time with you, and uh, congratulations to Richard, Aubie, both their teams, an incredible work, $10,000 raised for Cancer Care Manitoba, and thank you for topping up the donation and making it a nice round five-digit number. Good on you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So I'm, I'm calling you out now, Brett. you got to come. That's it. I, I said one day. I just never specified which day. <laughs> Any day, you let me know and I'll put you in right okay. beside Richard. Oh uh, yeah, I know. I already told Richard that's, that's never happening. Breaker. Yeah, that's never happening. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, you guys. Okay. Thanks, Christy. All WPG Cycle. They're on uh, South at Osborne, Julie Buckingham, Richard Cluche, Shadow Davis, Matt Cardi. Uh, I know uh, Tammy Cole was down there for Power 97 and uh, and uh, Peggy. So uh, an outstanding effort. Mike Conkin, Brittany Greenslade, uh, a real awesome job by the chorus team down there this, this morning. And, you know, Richard has, we've been talking about how he's been steadily losing weight over the last several months and largely because of his work at WPG Cycle. So kudos to him, although the the I did the typical guy thing. I just bought a pair of shorts without trying them on. Were you in the kids section? I have never, I have bought shorts and not tried them on, but they were plenty loose. Let me tell you, he looked, you know what he looked like? There's a, there's a great picture on the 680 CJOB Twitter where he's, standing beside Obby, and he's got these little shorts on. He looks like someone who just, like, got up at 3 in the morning and looks really confused, kind of like, where are my glasses? Oh, they're on my face. I can't see anything, though. It's dark. That's sort of what 
he looks like in that picture. Yeah, if if you have not seen the shorts already, do yourself a favor, just don't. Because <laughs> you can't unsee this. Just don't. Just don't. After your forecast, we're going to switch gears and talk about speeding tickets in school zones. Is it a cash grab? It's the eternal question in the city of Winnipeg when it comes to photo radar, and we will get into it after we have a look at the weather situation up next. 117, Greg and Brett with you. And, of course, the uh, story that we want to talk about right now is uh, courtesy of City Councillor Sean Dobson, St. Charles Councillor Dobson, says nabbing drivers on days when kids aren't actually in school is a cash grab. Here is Councillor Sean Dobson in his own words. It, it absolutely is. There's, there's no reason for us to, to ticket when we know that there's no kids going to school. Everybody knows that. He's made a motion at City Council today asking the city to stop doing enforcement on holidays. It would require change to the bylaw. Council is yet to vote on the idea. It will go to Public Works and Infrastructure Committee to be debated at their next meeting. Right now, drivers are required to slow down to 30 kilometers per hour around school zones Monday to Friday from September through June. And there's a time of day restriction on that as well, 7.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. So... I like the fact that this city councillor has stepped up and, and is kind of saying what I think many of us have long said. I do understand that, in a way, it's good to just make it Monday to Friday, regardless of a holiday, between September and June, the speed limit is reduced. That way it can keep you into a habit. That's on one hand, but on the other side of that scale, you have a completely different mentality when it's a holiday, right? If I'm driving down the street and I know it's Victoria Day and I know the kids aren't in school, I'm not thinking about school zones, whereas if it's just a regular Wednesday morning, of course I'm thinking about the school zones because that's programmed into you. But that mentality, you go into weekend mode on a holiday. Well, and I would think that if the the argument is that kids may be utilizing that playground on the holiday, the same argument could be made on Saturdays, Sundays, and most definitely throughout the summer. Absolutely. So my argument would be, I'm on one end of this or the other. There's kind of no compromise or in the middle for me. Either this should just be 365 days a year, or they should be monitoring it and giving out tickets based on the idea of keeping kids during school time safe when they're getting dropped off, picked up, school buses, etc., so one or the other, but don't be mixing it. Don't be justifying on one hand, your presence on a holiday Monday when you're not around from July through the beginning of September, then you should be there all the time. Should be against the law any day of the year. It can't be both. Now, Keith McCullough, Global News reporter, 680 CJOB's Keith McCullough Spoke with Councillor Dobson, and uh, because, as Greg just pointed out, there are many logistics that could be factored into this, and that very subject came up. Which holiday is a holiday or in-service days in the St. James School Division when maybe it's not an in-service in the Riel School Division? I mean, there'd be some logistics there that could make it tricky. Well, the bottom line is for, for residents driving, if in doubt, go 30 kilometers an hour. Yeah. Would it say on the signs... Excluding holidays, would that be right on all these signs that are in school zones right now? No, it's just part of the legislation would change so that they wouldn't be allowed to ticket you. Now, Brian Bowman was later asked to respond to what Councillor 
Dobson is saying. The question was asked, is it a cash grab? So here's Mayor Brian Bullman. I think folks should obey the, the law. That is the best way to keep your money in your pocket is by simply obeying uh, signage. Um, what I'm interested in always is uh, can we be uh, more effective at communicating and making sure signage is appropriate um, so that uh, we give everybody the ample notice of, of what is expected of them to drive in a responsible and a safe way. As to be expected, whenever we have this discussion, whenever we open up this Pandora's box, the text messages come flying in. And one of the text messages here is from Mick, who says, Dobson is wrong. And once again, the uh, St. Charles Councillor Sean Dobson says, nabbing drivers on days when kids aren't actually in school is a cash grab. So Mick says, Dobson is wrong. Not speeding will mean no fine. It is not a cash grab. It is a voluntary tax on idiots who make dumb choices. No need to change it. Just don't enforce it on those days. They enforce it on those days because it is a cash grab. Why change the law and confuse? Oh, boy. This jumped all the way down on me. (laughs) Why change the law and confuse people? Just don't enforce it with photo radar cars those days. Seems simple. That is Dobson's point, actually. He's not looking to change the signs or anything. What he's looking to do is to make it part of the law that enforcement would not take place on those days. So I would say that the last texter who said that uh, agrees with Dobson more than disagrees. The idea is to formalize with police the idea of not enforcing on those days. Yeah, and I, you you raised an interesting point, Greg, with the fact that Hey, if the argument is that kids might use the playground on a holiday, then why does that logic not apply to any other day, any other time, even the evening? I mean, I can't, I can think of hundreds of instances where I went out and played football, street hockey, whatever, at six o'clock, seven o'clock on a Wednesday evening. So should those, should the speed limit be. Through right till ten o'clock. I don't. I'm not suggesting it should be, but that's if that's the, where they're going to hang their hat, right? If you're hanging your hat on something, make sure that you're hanging it on the right thing, and and it feels as though they're not necessarily doing that. Text here saying kids aren't allowed on on school grounds after school hours. No, they're not allowed on school property after dark. Kids are allowed to play at the basketball court at. Uh, at Sun Valley School pretty much whenever they want. So Howie is at 204-780-6868. Hello there, Howie. What do you have to say? Well, I'm just going to agree with what you guys were just saying a little bit. You know what? Growing up, and I'm an old man already, we always used the school. And we're always there. All the signs are there already. And you know what? If people would just obey things and they do have cash grabs for a lot of things i know that but it's a school zone what, what's the problem with slowing down and driving through the school zone at their 30 or 50 or whatever school it is there's no problem with it and for people to say it's a tax grab and then some counselors he's got to raise some ruckus in the, in the house and they're going to talk about it for a week and waste everyone's time and you know what the speed limit's there and that's what the speed limit is. And you're completely right. At 9.30 at night, it's light out until quarter to 11 at night right away. It's the longest days of the year right away. Kids are hanging out at the school. 
I don't see what the problem is and, and why people complain is just ridiculous. But how you, you mentioned people, that... People love to complain. How you mentioned that uh, if people just follow the rules and slow down, um, what about, though, if you're driving through a school zone on a holiday, whatever the holiday is, and yeah. you get caught by somebody who is sitting in one of those speed camera cars, on, let's say it was on Victoria Day that you got caught... Because you forgot, oh, yeah, you know what? It's a holiday, and I know that there are no kids in there, so I'm not thinking about the speed limit. Do you not, Do you, you don't think at all that that's a cash grab? No, 365 days a year. Kids hang out at the school. That's so you, their place to go. That's their place to go at nighttime. So you think it should no be year-round then? Hang out. Well, sure, why not? Okay, Howie, thank you for the call. We appreciate your feedback at 204-780-6868. Jim is up next. Well, we got time to sneak Jim in here. What do you think, Jim? Yes, I agree as a counselor. It absolutely is a cash grab. Uh, the other thing I'd like to comment on, though, is when uh, the mayor was asked a question, he never did answer it. Why, why wouldn't the reporter push that to get an answer? Is it or is it not a cash grab? I get tired of so a lot of people, of uh, politicians, dancing around the issue and giving the, the public a direct answers. Well, he said it's not a cash grab. He says people just need to follow the law. That's his take on it. And, and I don't very often stand up for this mayor, but uh, I think he, he, he voiced his opinion and his position on it pretty clearly. We're in uh, Arizona, and I think they do it brilliantly there. They have a, a signage with flashing lights, a real bright orange light. The eyes can't miss it. And the signage says... Uh, uh, they go more miles per hour. It says um, uh, 40 miles per hour when lights flashing, otherwise 50 miles per hour. So why couldn't they do that? To me, it's very, very simple, and you would eliminate the cash grab. I, I just I think they, they sneak around with their signs. There's a lot of people have commented on this station and, uh, and other places. Uh, I think that's a very smart way of looking at doing it, but... Uh, they just won't do something like that because they do know it's a cash grab. Thanks, Jim, and I think that's a great point. If you're committed and saying it's about safety, then put in, implement all the possible safety devices and apparatus that could help it be as safe as possible as opposed to it being ambiguous. That's okay. my take on it. Coming up to one thirty on 680 CJOB. Up next, we want to tell you about an event happening today and tomorrow at McNally Robinson with one of Canada's great sculptors. This is Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. We are in the presence of a true Canadian treasure, an artist extraordinaire. She joins us, a, a triumphant return to Winnipeg, Ruth Abernethy, sculptor who is in Winnipeg today and tomorrow to appear at McNally Robinson to talk about her book, Life and Bronze, a sculptor's journal. And this is one of those absolutely gorgeous, I would call it a coffee table book. It's got not only chock full of information and stories behind the sculptures that you've created over the years and the incredible Canadiana, but it's absolutely stunning visually. Thanks for taking some time on your visit to Winnipeg, Ruth. Oh, my pleasure. Winnipeg's never a flyover for me. Well, we appreciate that very much. And for those of you that might be wondering who is Ruth Abernethy and what has she done in Winnipeg, uh, an incredible statue uh, adores the front entrance of MTC. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about it, Ruth. Well, this is John Hirsch, of course, and Tom Hendry, co 
uh, founders of Manitoba Theatre Centre, now Royal Manitoba Theatre Centre, uh, where I came to volunteer at the age of 19 and then worked Rainbow Stage and then back to MTC at that point. John Hirsch I worked with in Stratford, his first... Remember all the debate, the, the first Canadian to run the Stratford Festival. Uh, it was his first season, also mine, uh, 81. But um, I came back to Winnipeg for the 50th anniversary with the portraits of Tom Hendry and John Hirsch. So you were in Winnipeg when you were 19. What brought you to our city? Because you're from Ontario, right? Yes. Where, gonna, where, are you from, where are you from in Ontario? Well, I grew up on a small farm and went to school, high school in Little Lindsay. So it was Summerstock Theatre was my introduction to theatre. Worked with fabulous professionals who are still working, a couple of them at the Manitoba Theatre Centre. And it was the theatre that brought me to town. Okay. They can do work off-Broadway that is remarkable and it brings spectacular directors and and technicians uh, uh, from everywhere. Well, and that had, was the bait. We had Len Carrieu in the studio just oh, a few wonderful. weeks ago. And, of course, he spoke glowingly and yeah. so adoringly of, of John Hirsch and the and the yeah. work of the now Royal MTC that you, you so yes. aptly uh, point out. So there are some other incredible Canadian figures that yes. you have really, you know, sculpture is immortalization, right? I'm a big sports fan. So yes. if you've got a sculpture, if you've got a statue outside the stadium or the arena yeah. of the team that you represented, that is the pinnacle. Uh, do, do we see things that way uh, in, in other walks of life that if you oh, are, so. if you are <laughs> displayed so. I mean, in bronze? <laughs> well, it's, it's the larger narrative that always interests me. And, and with legacy portraiture, that's certainly the case. And, and I, I would still contend that the living trump the dead. There are legacies, uh, well, well, and in fairness, you should only sculpt musicians because they're less controversial than politicians. But even saying that, uh, the living trump the dead. You know, if we don't like the decisions that were made, it's up to us to do it differently and, and ensure that errors in the past are not repeated. So I suppose it's, you know, 15 minutes of fame. As long as people are talking about how decisions went down, we have control over, uh, over our own destiny in many ways. You say that you shouldn't sculpt politicians. Uh, as... <laughs> oh, no, I didn't say you shouldn't sculpt them. I'm just saying oh, that musicians, me. not only can you always get a good profile photograph of a piano player, for starters, um, musicians don't exist in the same controversial territory that <laughs> politicians do. But I can only assume that the only thing worse than all the politicians we have would be to live in a country where no one wanted the job. Has Have any of your sculptures ever presented controversy that you were maybe not expecting? Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, John A. MacDonald, of course, you know, and I had the luxury of sculpting him twice, once as a young man, as he may have looked at the age of 19 for the town of Picton, where he made his first court appearance uh, before he was yet trained as a lawyer. That's a good story. And then I got to revisit the same head study for a different committee group who are doing all of the prime ministers uh, by mandate, all the Canadian prime ministers uh, at a very small town west of Kitchener. We'll do all of them. I'm not doing them all. I'm one of a team of artists across the country who are doing, you know, working forward on all 23 portraits. So my older statesman, John A. MacDonald, went in uh, for January, or sorry, July 1st, 2015. January 1st of that year being John A.'s uh, 200th birthday. One of the defining images of... I guess it was the second U.S. Iraq or in American invasion of Iraq was when the American 
soldiers dismantled that huge statue of yes. Saddam Hussein. Yes. And of course, we've seen in New Orleans and uh, other uh, southern cities in the United States just in the last month or so, yes. the dismantling and removal of Confederate figures that had been had been uh, commemorated in bronze. Yes. So, so this can this is really almost a, a if if being immortalized in bronze is a symbol. Removing yes. such statues would be such a tremendous symbol in terms of maybe changing well, an era. Or I think I think we're maybe looking at at, at the cutting edge of what is at first glance a very traditional uh, task, you know, bronze portraiture. I I think that the dialogue that goes with that as the wake on a boat is as constructive as as you can imagine, you know, having prompting forward those conversations about the contributions of this individual or that individual. And 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 I'm not sure that there's a clear answer. You know, no one's everyone's contribution is unique. So how you decide to to uh, celebrate or vilify each character is both personal and, and collectively debatable. I mean, I love the transition even. I love the debate because to me that's where the rubber hits the road. Ruth Abernethy is our guest. She is a sculptor and has a new book that is going to be launched tonight at McNally Robinson at 7.30. It's called Life and Bronze, a sculptor's journal. So you, you're telling us that uh, you, know, you, you began in theater yes. and you end up sculpting with bronze. How does that... <laughs> How do, you, how do you sort of hand the baton off from one to the other? Well, it's actually less uh, unusual than you might think. But yes, I worked very tidily in theater for 20 years, started at age 17 uh, and, and worked in most of Canada's regional theaters. Fifteen of my 20 years were spent at the Stratford Festival. And because you're doing classics centuries past and because you're working with spectacular designers who can design for the talent in the shops, lots of figurative stuff. You know, Barbara Brin shot out of a cannon, heads on pikes. Um, you know, I tried to avoid the corpse jobs. But, you know, there's lots of figurative stuff. And I was there, of course, in the age before Amazon, right? So we were making things that you might now purchase. But they all have to be stage-worthy. So a lot of carving uh, in, in styrene, uh, that white packing stuff. I learned to carve. And the, the short answer is from the prop shop uh, in 1996, they renovated the theater. I was asked to do figures in a in a montage that was to indicate the fundraising success. And I learned later that the fundraising went very well, so they did have the funds to work with. At the time, honestly, I laughed when they started talking bronze from the prop shop. But they were serious. They had loved the first installation that were done very rapidly. I think I had four days to do each figure, which included a face. And then I, so I repeated them and they were installed next month, June of, of 97. We have some incredible public art in our community, your installation included, but also at Portage in Maine, some outstanding, outstanding Leo Mall works yeah, uh, through story. the generosity of the Richardson family on, on the intersection at Portage in Maine. Why is it important that, that public art be a part of our landscape? And is it something that government and, and taxpayers should be investing in, or should it be at the behest or the responsibility of, of folks like the Richardsons to commission these things and to put them on display? Oh, all of the above, all of the time. I just think that, that you're, you're always balancing the long, the long game and the short game. When I travel, if I'm not invited to the salons of the world, I'm walking the streets. I get to encounter the public art, which represents 
both the subjects, you know, for talking portraiture, both the subject of the portrait and the people who chose to honor that individual. That's a two-part answer right there. But I have access to that. I love the democratic encounter on a street. I can stand on my head to look on that if I want to. There's not even the gallery control of stand here, look there. I love the fact that other civilizations have have made their comments in bronze that we now get to find and explore and discover and discuss. But at any point in history, you could stop every public art project and there would still be need, there would still be want, there would still be ignorance. And so you address those two sides at every step versus public versus private. Let's, no one's off the hook. This is our shared culture, our shared history. Why should any group not make a contribution? Um, I don't think it's solely government by any stretch. I mean, these are our communities. These are our individuals. So, I, you know, when private individuals can have a philanthropic role, of course. You know, there are some spectacular Canadians in this country who have made their presence known that way, and I have been lucky enough to work with quite a few of them. I think in Canada there isn't quite the same tradition there is in the States of public philanthropy, but I think those boomers are now going to understand that they've done their bucket list and they want to talk legacy projects. Ruth Abernathy is our guest. She is launching a book tonight at McNally Robinson at 7.30. The book is called Life and Bronze, a sculptor's journal. It really is a spectacular book featuring her spectacular body of work. And we are going to try to learn as much as we can in about an eight-minute span when we have after we have a look at your forecast up next. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling, and she is our guest. Her name is Ruth Abernethy. She is a sculptor. She has a book launch tonight at McNally Robinson at 7.30. The book is called Life and Bronze, a Sculptor's Journal. And, Ruth, I understand that you are behind the world's biggest black bear? Is is it (laughs) somewhere in this book? It's in the book. It's not something many people would claim, but I have to say there are a lot more wonderful stories in this country, and they don't all start with European uh, traditions of heritage. I, ha- I have cousins in Russell. Rossburn was on my radar, and I had this curi- noticed a curious call on on the internet uh, to sculpt the world's largest black bear, and hence we now have Duke, uh, gift of a very generous couple in town, uh, Walter and Adele Macasso, wanted their huge black bear, and it became an interesting biological study of of sourcing amazing foodstuffs for bears in Riding Mountain National Park, which is why the bears were there. There was a second bear found. But really in bronze, 800 and some pounds, about the same weight as real life uh, and twice the size of an ordinary black bear. So this isn't one of these traditional <laughs> Manitoba things or or across no, Canada where, you know, really we claim it to be the, <laughs> the uh, largest <laughs> mosquito. Well, there would never be a yes. mosquito, with all due respect. Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember which... Yeah, the Wawa Goose, you know. You know right? Yes. The, the, this was actually a proportional... Yes. This is a bear portrait of, <laughs> of Duke of, the Bear. Who yes. was the largest black yes. bear ever? In fact, they found a second bear who weighed, who weighed more, but it was a difference in, because they hibernate, their weight changes. Sure. They still figured that Duke was the biggest. Isn't but that but the fact that there were two uh, prompted a biological study of the area, and uh, they grow them large up there. Well, I found the page here. It's uh, page 94 in the book, and it says uh, that he, at his death, 
Duke was the largest black bear ever, weighing 812 pounds and estimated to stand nearly eight feet tall. And Greg, just look at this. I mean, you can see her, Ruth, working on the bear. <laughs> You're dwarfed by, I know. by big old I know. It's Duke a wonderful there. shot, isn't it? He, the, it? While he was being cast at the foundry, uh, you know, Jim confessed that he could hardly get a thing done. All his buddies just stopped in for the bear report and he, no he could doubt. hardly get a thing done. <laughs> How long does it take to cast a statue like that? Well, they're all different, of course, and, and neither Jim nor I ever really have the luxury of doing one thing at a time. I would say for a figure for me, say four months, I think Duke was maybe done in a bit less, um, just because I had to come up with a means of working on that scale that was manageable. That's a lot of fur. Uh, and I think the casting was about the same, I would say, three to four months. Now, yeah. you mentioned something about the fact that there's a lot of math involved. Uh, radio yeah. people, we joke all the time that we got into radio because we don't <laughs> like math, and then when we get here, we realize... There's it's a ton of math. math. <laughs> well, and I, I, there, that indeed, I think a lot of professions would tell you that. But of course, I'm working with proportions, right? And mostly, uh, virtually without exception, I'm working from photographs. Mm. So at some point, not only do both arms and both legs need to be the same length, but I'm working out proportions head to body, uh, you know, hand to anything. It's endless pouring over photographs, and it's not really measuring because you're extrapolating, right? You're pulling out details. You're looking at different views. And really, you're not looking at documentary photos. You're looking at random shots. So I just find that, you know, you have to start somewhere, and you know that the ear is the same size in any photograph, you know, distance between the eyes, that kind of thing. And in doing that, you're measuring it again and again, and eventually the numbers gel, and you start to generate the same number. You know, why I couldn't even, I couldn't even guess, except there are things about a face, of course, that do repeat. Right. That's what is the basis of beauty is balance. Right, right. Symmetry, right? Absolutely. You know, in the oddest place, it might be width of mouth, width of brow. I'm not really sure where it appears, but it will depending, you know, at some point the numbers just gel. And I think it's interesting. I mean, I, I have recently sculpted the queen. What did I notice for her? Endless, you know, 8.655555. Those? Really? Distinct to the Queen. When I was working with Oscar, astonishing. I nearly fell over when Oscar I realized Peterson. Oscar Peterson, jazz pianist. Yes, jazz hero to many. Working on the math and eventually the number that gels, pi. 3.14 with, with, as far as we know, no repeating decimals. Uh, <laughs> I know you start to hear the music. <laughs> You're working with pieces like I'm just thinking of Duke the Bear. You're working with a lot of these these works that you've done are quite large. Have have you ever been at risk of of like your safety being in danger because like with one I'm just thinking of something falling. Oh on gosh, you. Uh, no. It's the short answer. No, I carve in styrene. I surface in wax. I do detailed head studies in a different material so that I can control them and better photograph them for clients. In fact, the, I don't do my own bronzing work. I was nearly for. I would love to have the strength to do that, but really, I don't. It's a. It's an industrial process with with an art application, and it's heavy work. Just just so that you know, each each bronze, of course, is cast hollow, right? Which is a phenomenally complex series of steps. I had done several bronze before I would have even attempted to describe it to anyone. In fact, that was the one shot in the book of me laughing with the Queen and Prince Philip. She had done a very gracious, you know, unveil and turned to Kelly, uh, Oscar's wife, and then their daughter. And then she turned to me and said, how do you do such spectacular metal work? And I cracked up because I don't do the metal work. Mm. And, and that's the photo of us having this huge chuckle because I would never attempt to describe the casting process in two sentences, let alone in 30 seconds. 
And I did. I just cracked up. And, and I said, oh, well, that's the point at which you don't have to be an expert, but you do have to know one. Uh, because in fairness, I have spectacular foundries in the East. I've worked with three there and several you know, out of province. We have spectacular technicians in this country. And it's public art. We are not saving lives with this. We are having a collective expression. And I want those people in my community. So I cast in Canada. It's not that you couldn't get a better price, I suppose, going offshore, but I think that doesn't account for all costs. And I do want those problem-solving technicians in my community. I am happy to work with them, and I get beautiful work. But in danger, no. I, I never occurred to me, and, and I don't think that foundries I work with, they have a spectacular uh, understanding of what they're doing, and they don't put themselves in danger either. Well, and, and I'm glad I'm glad you clarified that because I was just looking at the bear and I, th- and I thought, what is this thing way that she's working on? Uh, so you really made that make a lot of sense for because I don't know anything about this well, stuff. No, and so that's no why we bring you in. That's why the phone calls come in. You know, and the first <laughs> sentence is often we have this idea, you know, but but we've never done it before. And I guess in the end, that's part of what prompted the book because I now have done it before, where most community groups would have no reason to have repeat experience on such a thing. Ruth, this has been fascinating. We didn't get to all the questions that uh, I had on my list. So uh, folks can come and see you at uh, McNally Robinson, not only tonight, but tomorrow night. I think, in fact, tomorrow I'm gone. Oh, um, I thought it was yeah, two nights. I, I, I think I messed that up. Oh, that's okay. okay. I'm okay. Just, I know it's just that tonight? I've it's just tonight. <laughs> yes, it's just tonight. tonight. Yes. Ruth will be gone, so don't go yes. tomorrow Off night. to Halifax tomorrow. Tonight, 7.30. Okay, well, beautiful place to visit as well. Uh, thank you for this this lovely work, and uh, your book is absolutely gorgeous. Thank okay. you for all of it. My pleasure. Ruth Abernethy, once again, you can see her tonight, 7.30 at McNally Robinson. The book launch, Life and Bronze, a Sculptor's Journal. After Global News at 2 o'clock, we are going to... Well, the story is called Tongue to Bum, a detox story. It's presented by Vita Health. That's all we'll tell you. You got to stick around to find out exactly what we're talking about after Global News. It's 2.06 on this Wednesday afternoon, a decent day outside 680 CJOB. Keep it locked here for your weather forecast. I'm Greg. He's Brett. want to thank Ruth Abernethy for joining us in that first half hour or uh, last half hour, rather, she has left us with a gorgeous copy of her book. And we're just going through our legal department, our extensive legal processes here at 680 CJOB to find out what we need to do to give that book away. I'd like to take it home with me, but I think we should give it to a, a listener that would absolutely love to have this book. It makes it an amazing gift, a beautiful coffee table book. Uh, Brett, you've been hooking this uh, since about about 12.45, doing a great job of that. So why don't you uh, share with us what we're here to do in the next half hour? Every so often we get, I mean, we get all sorts of ideas that are pitched our way. And this one was a slam dunk uh, from the word go, because when you get an email that says, hey, Brett, uh, do you want to do this one? It's called Tongue to Bum. A detox story. I said, I don't know what it's about, but yes, please. And it's a lecture happening tonight at 7 o'clock at the Kaboto Center at 1055 Wilkes. It's presented by Vita Health, and it is a lecture hosted by Dr. Terry Willard, who is our in-studio guest joining us live on 680 CJOB. Dr. Willard, welcome. Good day. So, tongue to bum. The, the, it's a provocative title, by design, I'm sure. Hey, what are you thinking about? I don't think it's product, provocative. It, it, our digestive tract goes from our tongue to our bum, and we're trying to cleanse it. 
Okay, well, <laughs> there you go. All right, interview well, over. <laughs> I guess we got to the bottom of that. Oh, yeah. but maybe we should start at the at the top. Well, what what is the idea? And I mean, I I think you know it, it, it's clear when you put it the way uh, that you have that uh, this is not where a lot of our minds go because you know we live in the gutter for for a great uh, part of the day. And good for you. <laughs> you have some fun down there. So that means we're kind of healthy, right? Yeah, that's right. If, right. We're, if we're doing that, but uh, talk about this idea, a detox story, and 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 talk a little bit about Wild Rose College. Well, throughout the history of our species. I would have to say that we cleansed on a regular basis. Unfortunately, probably for the first, and how old is our species, a million years or whatever, we probably cleansed by famine because we just didn't have any food. But almost every religion on the planet and almost every culture had a cleansing system. It might be called Ramadan. It might be called Passover. It might be called Lent. It might be called vision questing. There's several different things. And we don't really implement that in our culture as much as we should. So the idea is to cleanse your body on a regular basis. And we're suggesting two to four times a year to cleanse your body just to, well, put up with some of the daily toxins we get when we're down in the gutter and doing all those kind of stuff. When we're gutter crawling, we pull in these toxins and we have to eliminate them. So the idea is to go on a specialized diet and to combine it with some supplements to be able to work on the liver, to be able to work on the digestive tract, and that's where the tongue of the bum goes, and um, to work on our blood system, lymphatic system, to be able to clean it up, to be able to, um, well, to have a joyous life. You know, we have to prepare for the playoffs in the hockey by having a good, strong liver, and detoxification will help that. Well, so, so when I go to the movie tonight uh, to watch Pirates of the Caribbean and get a large popcorn with lots of butter and that extra buttery flavored topping, which I don't really know what that is, could <laughs> I don't be, think anyone else does could either. Could be recycled motor oil for all I know. Uh, it but might it be a good, good idea to then cleanse myself after that. Well, yes, um, but it, it's more like the accumulation that's happened since. Um, the last festive season, may that be Easter, may that be Christmas or whatever the case may be, to be able to cleanse yourself out. Actually, popcorn is quite a bit of a health food in the sense that it's it's legal to go on the detox and it's also legal to put butter on it, but not the edible petroleum products they dilute the butter with. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So you need the real butter okay. and the popcorn and you're on the right, uh, you're right th- at the right track uh, there, Brett. This whole idea of... We've heard the saying, you are what you eat, but there's another step to that process that that you emphasize. Well, definitely we are what we eat, but we're more what we absorb. It doesn't matter what we put in our tongue. It's actually what gets into our bloodstream. And by having our digestive tract clean and our liver function, we're going to get better nutrients into the rest of our body. And by being able to do that, we can change it into, well, healthy things. Our liver is kind of like a little bit of an alchemist. It can take, this is a technical word, by the way, it can take crap and turn it into great nutrients in our body to be able to give us healthy bones, body, organs, whatever. So you're the founder of Wild Rose. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What is Wild Rose? Well, Wild Rose is, is, has been three things in the past. Um, it's a college, which still exists. We have online courses and we have classroom courses and we have um, mail um, order courses for people who want that. It also is a product line where we sell different herbs and vitamins and things along those lines. And for the 40 years, it was a clinic. So I ran a, a fairly big clinic in Calgary with 15 practitioners. I've since retired um, from that process, so I don't have a clinic, but I was in clinical practice for 40 years. And during that process, I found that a very large number of my patients 
really needed to cleanse once to uh, four times a year, and that's all they really needed to do for the supplement base. They didn't need to take all kinds of exotic things as long as they could keep the whole machinery greased and running. Yeah, one of my uh, people that I follow on Twitter made an observation today. I won't say which food story he cited, but I think they're all the same. And he said, ironic that there's one aisle of quote-unquote natural food in the super uh, market that I'm in today. (laughs) You know, and how many aisles are there, right? And so this idea that we're just inundated and overwhelmed by food that is not real uh, we're starting behind the eight ball uh, when when we get up in the morning every single day, it feels. Definitely. In fact, I've told my patients for years, you're only allowed to keep your cart on the outside of the store. You're not allowed to move your cart down the aisles, those those canyons of, of processed foods that can sit there literally on the shelf for a year or two years. You can walk down those aisles and pick the odd item up, but you feel kind of guilty carrying 25 bags of potato chips to your cart that's on the outside. But on the outside, you've got your your produce, you've got your, you know, fresh baked foods or real foods. And in the middle of those canyons, you don't have healthy foods, typically. So I'm imagining, you know, you put it a, a certain way that they have this almost endless shelf life. What does that shelf life translate into when it enter, enters our body? Well, first of all, I like where you're going with this. If the bugs won't eat it, is there any nutrient value in it? You know, I mean, if if nothing will eat this stuff, it's probably not going to give you health to start off with. But let's face it, we're humans. It's only human to 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 do these things, and we're going to eat these things once in a while. None of us have got halos around us. We're not perfect. So the idea is, is well, you tune up your car once or twice a year. You might as well tune up your body. So the idea is to the, whoops. I ate that thing again, you know, or I had too much over this season or whatever. You know, again, the hockey, the people who are watching all the hockey games, they might be consuming a little bit too much alcohol, a little bit too much Cheetos or whatever the case may be. And after the season, they might want to do a cleanse to, to, you know, father for I've sinned, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. Give me a detox. They might want to go through this process at the end to be able to do that. You say we are humans and we like to sometimes do these things. Why is it that for many of us, we seem to have this propensity to to poison ourselves? And I think, for example, I remember being on a road trip, trip in Wisconsin and went to White Castle for the very first time. And the combos on the American fast food meals, just they still kind of blow my mind. One of them was 15 sliders with a bucket, and I'm not exaggerating when I say a bucket of like 100 ounces of pop. This was just a combo, a regular thing. Uh, I've actually wondered how even people do the the, the movies. Like, you get these industrial cans that you're going to drink through the movie. I could not make it through a movie if that was the case. I'd have to go to the washroom, so I I hear you there. But I think it's, well, first of all, it's really good marketing, and it's, it's mouth appeal that we really go for. I think we're hardwired to this because... We really like that crunchy things when we're hunter-gatherers and anything that's sweet we'd really like. You put those two things together, you can create long shelf life, but we only got those things in very rare exceptions when we were a hunter-gatherer, which is over 99.9% of the history of our species. So we're hardwired to like crackled, burnt things that are over a fire with anything with sugar in. That would help us get through the winter. Our ancestors didn't say how old they were. They saw how many winters they got through. So in the fall, if we see a berry bush, we're going to honker down and eat as many of those berries as we can. We are not going to have a chance to find another berry bush for 8 to 10 months. 
Unfortunately, now there's lots of berry bushes. They call them um, convenience stores or in every corner. So we have berry bushes all year long. So we eat this junk food because let's face it, we like it. We're hardwired to it. We're genetically have genetic disposition towards this stuff simply because there's simple nutrients that is going to put on some blubber so we can make it through the winter. But we have too much access to it. So let's give ourselves a break and understand that we are predisposed to craving these things. And when we start eating them, the fact that you can't start or stop eating them is a little bit of a natural thing. How do we detox? How do we take that break and really give ourselves a, a, I know we can't have a pure fresh start, but a fresher start. Oh, you want to become a, a born again, a, a virgin uh, a body? I, I don't know if it's possible. <laughs> I'm, I've got pen and paper. I'm prepared to take notes here. Okay, so the, the, so the 12-day detox is designed to be a 12-day specialized diet. And basically, you're not any, allowed any dairy flour and sweets and sundry other things. So it actually gives you a, a, a menu selection that you can have so many percentage, 20% from acid-forming foods, 80% from alkaline and, alkal- and then neutral foods. So those are the foods you can eat. Then you take some supplements. There's um, three different bottles with tablets in. You take two tablets from each bottle and two squirts from a little dropper bottle twice daily. So what you do is... You consume those things for 12 days, and at the end of it, you've gone through several metabolic changes that would make you more clean. And even though the center of gravity seems like it's in the digestive tract because you have extra bowel movements during the period of time, it's really mostly on the liver to cleanse the liver, to build up the liver, to be able to have another onslaught coming on down the line. Obviously, the best idea is to eat as good as possible, but again, it's only human to error. And so we'll probably do that. And if a person does this cleanse on a regular basis, a couple times a year, up to four times a year, they'll reset their clock. Dr. Terry Willard is our guest. He has a lecture tonight at 7 o'clock at the Kubota Center at 1055 Wilkes Avenue. It's a lecture called Tongue to Bum, a detox story. It is presented by Vita Health Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives. We will continue our chat with Dr. Terry Willard after your forecast, which is up next. Yes, we, we, we dare to have conversations that others wouldn't on the radio. It's Mackling and McGarry. I'm Greg. He's Brett. Tongue to bum, a detox story, a lecture tonight at the Kaboto Center, 1055 Wilkes Avenue, presented by our friends at Vita Health. It starts at 7 p.m. once again at the Kaboto Center. And Dr. Terry Willard is our guest in studio, and he will be making this presentation tonight and this idea of detoxing and and monitoring what you ingest and how that gets absorbed into the body absorption and the whole idea of what your body needs and takes out of food are there different times of day where you can have better benefits orders in which you eat your food that you might get better benefits or is it some tricks in, oh, in a- that absolutely Terry? absolutely there's an old saying eat breakfast like a king a lunch like a prince and supper like a grad student who can't pay his rent at the end of the month. I have to say that's the first time I've ever heard that. I like it, though. Explain well, that. Well, I changed it a little bit. Well, just I, I like it. <laughs> well, it, the be- biggest meal of the day is best to have breakfast because that's what your whole foundation. And our, our ancient agrarian society used to eat big lunches. And maybe take a little snooze after, you know, in Mexico it's manana uh, or siesta, sorry. And But you want to have a light supper because 
you're not having that much activity after supper. So to be able to eat in reverse the order that most people do is by far the best. So we like to have a good foundation to our diet. And so when you do that, when you eat properly at the beginning of the day, I know that I do the opposite typically. And by the time four o'clock, five o'clock rolls around, I know there's supper waiting for me at home, but sometimes my body says, I can't wait that long. And so then I end up inserting a, an extra meal into my yeah, all of a daily sudden, routine, right? All of a sudden that fast food place right? gets it's open on the way. supper Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, hobbits have two breakfasts. Why not have two suppers, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm more going the hobbit way um, to, to be able to do it that way because, and especially we eat the opposite. Like most people eat something sugary or sweet, again, marketing for breakfast. And that makes us want to have a coffee at coffee break and eat something more sweet. We go in this sugar high, this, this bouncing around. If you actually eat a protein or something solid for breakfast, you know, one of my favorite breakfasts is to have some rice with some barbecued salmon or something like that for breakfast. Um, or maybe in the middle of winter, some oatmeal with some some fermented vegetables and, and things like that on it, which is a really good solid base. And I don't want to eat as often during the day. And by time I come to the the supper, it's maybe a little bit of a tapas type thing or a soup or a little bit of a salad. And I find that's a better way for people to maintain a good energy. And they're not that hungry at the 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock and need that pre-supper. So so it's almost like we're on completely opposite paths of what we should be doing and what we are doing as a society, right? Because we tend to eat the bulk of our food after 6 p.m. Yes, and that's a product of marketing. And then we sit in front of the TV and don't move and just keep on piling it in so we get indigestion when we're sleeping. We get GERD. We get, you know, reflux. And we wake up in the middle of the night feeling crappy and we have lousy dreams. Well, your mind will have nice exotic dreams by eating something just, you know, like some oysters or something before you go to bed. You know, keep your energy up so you can do that kind of thing. I, w- I want to do this because we're a talk radio station. Our listeners are a big part of what we do here. In fact, we can't do what we do without them. I've got a text here. Pure snake oil. Ask a real doctor about cleansing. There's no such thing. (laughs) That's from our listener. Well, it isn't snake oil for sure because, again, every culture has done it for most of um, our history. Yes, we naturally cleanse in our body. And some people say, you don't need to cleanse because the body cleanses itself. Of course it does. We would have died out a million years ago if our living doing cleanses. But we're in the most toxic time in the history of our species that we know about. And we need to assist it. So all the detox is doing is really assisting the whole system to be able to go through it. And it really comes down to some technical stuff we'll talk about in more detail, phase one and phase two in our liver and how those work together. And an awful lot of us are pushing too much stuff through that that liver process too fast and we're just getting a toxic overload from it. And actually, an awful lot of doctors really agree in detoxing. It's just some of the old doctors that got brought up in the pharmaceutical marketing era that don't agree with it. Dr. Terry Willard is our guest. He will be at the Kubota Center tonight, 1055 Wilkes Avenue, 7 p.m. He has a lecture tonight called Tongue to Bum. It is a detox story, and it is presented by Vita Health Fresh Market. You can get more information at myvita.ca. Dr. Willard, thank you so much for your time. I wish You're we welcome. had more, but we're always racing against the clock. Okay, thank you. Bye. Global News at 2.30 is next. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling on 680 CJOB. And just to quickly retouch on the subject we were discussing in the previous half hour, if you're interested 
in seeing Dr. Terry Willard and his lecture tonight, Tongue to Bum, a detox story. It's happening tonight at 7 o'clock, Kaboto Center, 1055 Wilkes Avenue, and it's presented by Vita Health. Now that I'm a certain age, I'm always conscientious of the way I phrase certain things like old friend, longtime friend, <laughs> Sylvia is with us. Wow! <laughs> Ouch! No, no. And the zinging begins. Uh, oh, you, know, you knew what you were getting into when you walked into I these did. doors. Our good friend Sylvia is here. She's an activational speaker, and I have to tell you, Sylvia, in all the years I've known you, it's the first time I've heard you describe yourself that way, and I love it. Don't you? I absolutely think it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, the the uh, website stressed to kill.me she's an occupational therapist and health coach uh, amongst uh, other things she's very inspirational beyond question and she's brought uh, with her today a new friend a gentleman that uh, I think uh, you're going to connect with here his story is miraculous he suffered four serious head injuries with uh, multiple uh, long-term effects and he has uh, he's a fighter and he's here to share with us his story of inspiration and struggle. And David, uh, as I mentioned to you off the air, I, I have a little bit more in common with you than you might have realized before you came here today. So just tell us a little bit about, first of all, why are you here and why are you feeling compared to, to share, share your story with us uh, with at least five other people listening? Well, it, it's, um, I feel it's one of my things in life that I need to do. I've been through a lot of tough stuff in my life. And um, with the injuries I've been through and a lot of times there's not the help for people that they're expecting from the healthcare system. And it can be very overwhelming when you have a head injury, little things um, that matter to us as patients don't seem to matter to anybody else. And uh, that's that's what I like to try and help people with. And um, Sylvia is somebody that has encouraged me to take these steps and uh, to try and help as many people as I can. I think sometimes you forget um, that when you're in a situation that's a first time for you, uh, medical professionals, that's their job. That's their every day. Mm -hmm. And it's very quick that you start to question the things that you're asking them about because with quite certainty – they will tell you that it's nothing for you to be worried about and something that isn't necessarily out of the ordinary for the situation you're in. Oh, absolutely. That's that's the problem. They see many, many things, and it, it's easy to look at somebody that just has had a bump in the head and just say, oh, well, you know, it, it's not that big a deal. You know, look at people that are in a wheelchair. Look at people that are quadriplegic. You know, what you have is no big deal. But for the person, it is a big deal. It's a huge deal. Four serious head injuries. Can you tell us uh, about how you hurt yourself four times? Um, yeah, well, the first time, the first serious time was playing rugby as a kid in high school. And um, for those of us that grew up in the 80s, you know, it's like, oh, you got your bell rung. Oh, well, you know. And I'd had multiple whiplashes, you know, things like that, you know, just car accidents or stingers, you know, things like that. Every, I was always an average person trying to do, keep up with the big boys. <laughs> and um, then in uh, 91, I was in a farm accident where I, uh, basically the doctors didn't think I would survive. 
and uh, they wouldn't operate on me right away because of that. And they left me until um, they figured I was going to survive. It, my, the best case scenario at that time was that I would be a vegetable for the rest of my life. And I always tell people, look at me, I look like a turnip anyway now. So, um, so they were right. They were right, yeah. I, just not the vegetable I wanted to be, you know. And then uh, I was in a, in 2001, was in a truck accident down in Tallahassee, Florida. And then a year ago, May, last year I um, fell from, uh, from about 10 feet up. My feet were about 10 feet up and my, of course I led with my head, you know, where else? <laughs> the heaviest gonna, thing yeah, with all the brains. Yeah, and, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> and uh, so that's that's how I ended up with that. You, you know, I listened to your story, and, and Sylvia, I see you sitting here, and advocacy is such a huge part it's of huge. getting better, isn't it? It is, and actually the words that we speak to people um, it can, words are like weapons, right? You can, you can, just kill somebody's motivation and inspiration and and hope by saying you'll never you can't it'll never be or you know even um dismissing people's symptoms or people's experiences by saying you know that's not really what happens after a head injury so this depression that you're experiencing has nothing to do with your head injury and we know that that is categorically untrue. We there's research. In fact, David has has some research to share that shows that proves that people do suffer with depression sometimes years after a head injury. And you wonder why the the kid that got their bell rung, so to speak, in ringette at age 12 has now suddenly completely out of character taken their life at 16. We now know that there's a connection there. And so I think it's really important for people working with or just even being in the life of somebody with a head injury who looks, air quotes, normal, Mm -hmm. but is so clearly not normal to be very thoughtful about what you say and about how you encourage people to become better tomorrow than they are today. Hope is hope is critical, right? Yeah, absolutely. It It's the thing. For some people, like for me in 91 when I was I was in a coma laying in the hospital bed and the doctors are saying this guy won't make it. They you can hear that, right? I can hear that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they had no idea they had no idea I was still listening and um I was and for me, it was like, oh, you think I'm going to die now, do you? Okay, well, we'll see. You know, I, I don't think so. But for some other people, it'd be like, okay, well, it's time to roll over and die then. Uh, yeah. You know, and I I have a very good support group behind me, and I knew people were praying for me as well. And I, I was, you know what, I'm going to kick this. And I've had a couple more opportunities to do the same thing, so. So talk about that. That's fascinated me. A uh, uh, friend of mine lost his life, fought, fell off a deck, landed on his head, went to the hospital uh, early one morning. They sent him home and, you know, several hours later he slipped into a coma and, and he never came out of it. And I can remember visiting him a few times and, and wondering if there was something that we could do to 
you know, nudge him out of it. Uh, he was a big heavy metal guy. And so it was like, well, should we put Britney Spears on his Walkman? You know, would that, would that anger him enough to, you know, to wake up and rip yeah. the, 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 the headphones off his head or, or anything like that? Tell us a little bit more about, you know, being conscientious of what was going on around you while you were lying there paralyzed, unable to speak. Um, for me, it wasn't a long time, but, um, I, I don't know, I don't know what could have done, been done differently for myself as far as motivational, except that I was hearing and I was like, okay, this is it. You know, I'm, I'm going to work on this. Also, I have a friend that spent a couple of weeks in a coma and he doesn't remember anything, you know? And, and so it, I think it's a very individual thing, mm-hmm. you know, whether somebody hears or not. And, um, but always, always take the opportunity to try to help a person and never discount if, if they're within hearing, act that way. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, and when you come out of it to work so hard to get better, even though people that cared about you once upon a time, they can be as big an obstacle as anything yeah. because they don't understand what you're going through. Uh, your change in your temperament can be a real <laughs> obstacle, right? I was thinking oh, yeah. back to a couple of experiences that I had, the idea of people not recognizing your tone of voice, even caregivers, right? Yeah. Why, you, you, why are you yelling at me? I'm not yelling at you, but yeah. from their perspective, that's the way you're coming across, right? And so that can be a barrier uh, as well. Two things there. Uh, your personality change and the way you interact with people and the people that you counted on before this happened uh, maybe separating themselves because they don't understand what you're going through. Yeah, and once uh, once you look like you're starting to recover, then what's the problem anymore, right? Right, right. You should be fine. Right. And for you, you said you had a frontal lobe injury mm-hmm. from... And with myself, that was the case. Then people that go through that type of injury, it it changes them so much in their personality and in the way they react to things. And my oldest daughter uh, told me, well, I've known this for quite some time, but she ended up writing a speech about it. And she, um, the thing that really scared her as a child was my tone of voice. And it was, um, I didn't even realize it for a long time. And uh, since it's, it's, it's been hard to deal with in certain ways that I was like that, that scarred her in that way. But she, um, I've, I've gotten past that and, and so has she. And, uh, but those things we, we just, uh, I think it was my brother said to me one time, he says, you'll be the last one to know if you've had brain injury. And that's the way well it is said. for us, you know, because those of us that have had been hit on the head, many times we don't realize what's going on. I have people in the 90s after my accident in 91 telling me, you should do this or you should do that. You need to go see this kind of a doctor or that kind of a doctor. And I'm like, oh, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm good. And I wasted years not paying attention to what others were telling me and what my body was telling me. David Henry and Sylvia are our guests. David Henry has had four serious 
head injuries over the last 20 years or so. And Sylvia is a good friend of this radio station. She's an activational speaker, an occupational therapist, and a health coach. And her website stressed to kill dot M-E. We will continue our conversation after your forecast, which is up next. Even though we've met her and been graced with her presence many times, Sylvia... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Identify yourself as an activational speaker, and I absolutely love that terminology. She's brought uh, with us our new friend, David Henry. David is telling us about his experience with a serious head injury, brain injury that has, uh, uh, you know, not defined him, but it's certainly been a challenge through his life, and it's given him an opportunity, I think, and I'm not going to speak for you, David, I'll speak for myself. It's given me, uh, ironically, uh, a fresh start in my life. And I know that the day that uh, it all changed for me, my battle with depression, uh, my battle with the with the physical symptoms, I get headaches on a daily basis, and and I still get those mood dramatic mood shifts and and, and changes. But when it changed for me was the day with my therapist when we realized that I needed to mourn who I was before my car accident in two thousand, and realize that that guy wasn't coming back. I don't know if you went through that. I don't know if that was part of your therapy, but for me, it was uh, it was horrible and wonderful all at the same time. Yeah, um, I didn't learn that right away, and uh, I I tried to be the person that I was before, and I especially after ninety one, you know, I I tried very hard to do that. I was raising a young family and. Um, just working hard, trying to make up for lost time. And uh, I didn't take that time. And a lot of the 90s is a bit of a blur. You know, I have a good memory for many things, but there's big chunks there I don't remember. And it wasn't till after 2001 when I had the uh, other the truck accident that I I started to look back and say, well, you know, I'm not going to be what I was, but what I'm going to be is somebody different. And in some respects, it's going to be better. And, um, yeah, it, it's, it was hard for me as a somebody that loved sports and played hard all my life to miss out on some, some of my best years, you know. But I look back now, and I'm thankful for everything that's happened because it's made me a better person. And if we can, if we can go through these things and take that approach that I won't be that person that I was, I'm going to be somebody better. Maybe physically there's things that are harder, but um, with my personality or with my, the aura I have around myself, you know, maybe I can be somebody that's more in tune to what others are needing for themselves, and I can be more of a, I can be more of a blessing. Maybe I can't keep up with my buddies that I played hockey with, but there's other things I can be better at. I can, I can think of others more. I can. There's lots of things I can do that aren't the testosterone-based kind of guy that I wanted to be, or I imagined I would be. One of the phrases that you used often, David, when we work together that I just love is my new normal. 
This mm. is my new normal. And it's just, it's such a nice way of letting go of who you were and yeah. embracing who you are now. Yeah, it, it, we are, we are changed after any type of head injury. We are changed some, somewhat. <clears throat> and that's who we are now. And we can make it good. David, you've brought in these pebbles. One of the things that Greg did when I sat down after reading the uh, 2.30 News, he handed me a, a stone no bigger than, uh, you know, the diameter of a nickel. I uh, said that you brought these in. And uh, I've been wondering as I've been sitting here sort of fidgeting with it. <laughs> Thank you for bringing it in, by the way. I'm, I'm a fidgeter, so it's given me something to do here. Uh what do they mean to you? I brought it all the way from Landmark specifically for you guys. So well, special ones. Pretty, pretty special. <clears throat> so I have a question for you then. I'll turn the tables a little bit here. So if I asked you to put that in your shoe, mm-hmm. what would happen? Uh, this would be very uncomfortable because it is, like I said, it's not a, a big stone, but this in my shoe would be super painful. Okay, so let's throw it a, around this way then. Um, what about all the people that walk barefoot all the time? You know, uh, why should that be? Why should that one stone in your shoe be a big deal when there's other people out there that run around on rocks all the time and doesn't seem to bother them? Well, we 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 spoke earlier to Dr. Terry Willard who made a reference to hobbits. So I mean, I guess <laughs> yeah. if you're if you're used to uh, to doing it, uh, in one sense, you probably sort of yeah, I would imagine your feet would adapt to it. Exactly my point. You know when. Um, when you go see a doctor after a concussion, it doesn't matter how small it is or a head injury. It doesn't matter how small it is. When you go in there, it's like that little pebble in your shoe. And the doctor, and unfortunately this has happened many times to myself and to many people I know, they go in to see a doctor and, ah, you had your bell rung. You're going to be fine. You know, they pull out the stats and say, you know, most people, what is it, 80 or 90% of people recover fully within the first three months, you know. So it's no big deal. But for you, when you're walking around with that stone in your shoe and you can't get that out, that's a big deal, even though it's a tiny stone. And that's my point with concussions and with head injuries. There's no such thing as a small problem because for that person, that is all-encompassing. That is their issue that they have to deal with. After time, like you said, you will have built up a callus and you'll, you'll limp a little bit and you'll get used to it. But if you put a second stone in your shoe now, you're going to have the same problems all over again, but magnified because now instead of trying to compensate for one, you're trying to compensate for two. So with concussions, it's the same way. You, you don't just recover from a, from a head injury. Your next one is going to affect you again the same way the first one did. And now it's and two. More. And now it's two you have to yeah. deal with. We are unfortunately out of time, but David Henry, what a great story and uh, good for you for for fighting through all of it and for coming here to tell us your story today. Uh, It's inspiring. Uh, So David Henry has gone through four serious head injuries and is here with a smile on his face. And he was introduced to us by Sylvia, who is an activational speaker, (laughs) occupational therapist and health coach. Her website, stressedtokill.me. Sylvia and David, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank Thank you. you. Global News at 3 o'clock is up next. I'm Greg. He's Brett. It is Wednesday afternoon, 3.08.
as we uh, get set for your drive home. The news with Julie Buckingham, Richard Cloutier starts at 4 o'clock. Richard and Julie will pop in here in about oh, 40 minutes' time and give us an idea of what they've got set up for you. Dandy Lions, I know, will be on the agenda along with the photo radar question. Uh, Councillor Sean Dobson suggesting that the law around photo radar in school zones be altered somewhat, that it would make it um, non-policy or policy to not hand out tickets uh, on holidays uh, during the uh, school season. So uh, that and much more uh, coming up this afternoon with Richard and Julie. Brett McGarry, we know that golf is a major love affair of yours. And I didn't realize, but one of the longest established uh, golf Clubs in our city is having a big birthday. I think it's happening today. It is indeed today. It's the 100th anniversary for Assiniboine Golf Club. And to tell us more about it, we are joined by Glenn Mills, who is the general manager at Assiniboine. Mr. Mills, happy anniversary to you and your club, sir. Thank you, sir. We appreciate the congratulations. So 100 years, how, especially in, in today's day and age where we're seeing golf uh, courses starting to close or at least struggle. So what is it about a Cinnaboyne that has just kept you guys rocking along? Well, I think uh, part of the appeal is that uh, we are a nine-hole facility. So with uh, the young millennials having less and less time to play golf, uh, a two-hour uh, time frame is a little more attractive than spending four or five hours at the golf course. So I think that that's definitely something to do with it. But uh, we're also right in the city we're easy to get to and um it's it's an easy course to walk so you don't have to ride so it's a it's a nice option glenn i know brett and i know exactly where you are but for the uninitiated and those that might not realize they drive past your golf course all the time where are you <laughs> um we are right on ness right near the civic center like less than five minutes from polo park and uh it's amazing to me that we have people that live two three streets over that uh, have never played our golf course before uh um, they just thought we were private and they weren't allowed to play, but uh, we're open to the public and always available. How many cars in that uh, narrow parking lot of yours end up falling victim to errant golf balls? Surprisingly, not as many as you'd think, but, uh, you know, I, I would say it happens probably, you know, maybe a half a dozen times uh, throughout the summer, but uh, never generally too much damage because uh, at the end of the second green, the, the balls are generally near their decline and almost done. So, um, you know, it would be different if it was uh, um, a little shorter hole, but uh, it's a longer hole, so it's usually not too much damage. So uh, tell us a little bit about the history of the golf club, if you wouldn't mind, Glenn. Were you always a nine-hole facility? So much space where you are up yeah. uh, north of Ness, and uh, just, just tell us a little bit about the history of the course. Um, I mean, you know, I, I've only been here for, you know, 10 years, so I don't know all the history, but uh, from what I've been told from past presidents and uh, long-standing members, uh, we were 27 holes back in the day when we were established. Uh, um, and I believe it was in the late 30s, just before the war, uh, the military, uh, which is still there today, took uh, a big portion of the golf course. And then in the early 50s, uh, Winnipeg Airport uh, took the rest. So, um, now we have nine holes left, but uh, we utilize the most of what we can with the land. We have, we're unique. We have 12 greens, so there's three holes you play a different green, and we have 20 tee boxes. So we, we really do maximize what we have. So what have you been doing so far today to celebrate the, the big 100th anniversary? 
Well, I was here at the crack of dawn at 6 a.m. to get ready for, uh, we had 12 past presidents that teed off today at 6.45 to uh, acknowledge our 100th birthday. And uh, so it was a special moment just to have uh, past presidents from uh, as early as back in the 80s that came and teed off. And they all signed uh, a 100th book. And we've had everybody that's played our golf course today is uh, signing a 100th anniversary registry book so that they can be acknowledged for uh, playing on this day. Now everybody, uh, my I have a brother. I have three of them actually, and and uh, I would say two of them think that cake is an actual food group. So uh, <laughs> lots of people like cake. You're going to have cake later on tonight, and uh, also deals on uh, everything from golf to popcorn. That is correct. We have a, a full gamut of things today. Uh, we have a ten dollar chicken uh, cordon bleu dinner uh, for ten dollars, and then we have the the staple hot dogs and hamburgers and chips and pop for a dollar today, and um, you know, we're just making it a big uh, event. We had seven o'clock is our cake cutting and we'll have pictures and we have a couple of MLAs uh, coming out and doing some speaking. We have our PGA of our Manitoba uh, coming out uh, for the golf association. And uh, we're hoping to have a representative from golf Canada as well. So we've got a lot of people coming out to celebrate. Uh, it doesn't happen to, you don't turn a hundred very often. So it's something that you want to celebrate. Am I seeing this correctly as well? 100 cent nine hole green fees all day. So a dollar. Yeah, we've uh, yeah, that is correct. We've uh, already turned over 200 people so far today. My goal was to get over 300 players, and I think we're going to hit that. Uh, you know, we've been you know it's been one dollar green fee since 6:45 a.m. this today. So we've had a few moments of quietness, but it's been pretty steady all day. And I think uh, you see a lot of smiling faces coming in, dropping a loony and uh, shaking their head that they can't believe it's true. Well, and uh, the weather is certainly. Uh, turned out for you today, Glenn. Last one before we let you go here. Brett and I have had this conversation about the the changing nature of the business of golf and and maybe being a nine-hole course, you sort of touched on it at the beginning there, might be a blessing in disguise and might be the key to the the next hundred years for you at Assiniboine. A hundred percent. I mean, I I think that the, you know, the the old school join as a member and play uh, at a facility is is declining. Um, There's always going to be your St. Charles and Niaqua facilities out there, but uh, I think the younger millennials just prefer to play once, uh, you know, once a week when they get a chance, which doesn't justify a membership. And uh, whipping out for nine holes with their buddies uh, is just a, a nice alternative. But we, you know, we also have 230 ladies that play here too. So our golf course actually suits all kinds, whether it's a lady or senior, juniors. Um, it's just it, it's really a playable course for everybody, which I think helps us, and it's going to be steady for the future of just catering to the local community and not worrying about everybody has to be a member. We want everybody to be a member and that means the whole community. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Glenn Mills is the general manager of the Assiniboine Golf Club. And usually, Greg, when I go there, I, they have that fence that kind of runs along the, the first tee box. Yep. I always manage to ricochet my tee shot <laughs> off of that fence. Because it's the first tee, and uh, that's you're <laughs> supposed to get a breakfast ball off that tee, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I always have the jitters on the first tee. First one never counts, buddy. <laughs> first tee mulligan is, uh, I think that's a term that my friend once coined for me and i it's a rule that i just bring with me wherever i go it's highly portable highly portable 315 traffic and weather all up next yeah showers tomorrow friday slight chance of showers mix of sun and cloud what's it looking for for the weekend uh the long-term forecast is calling for a mix of sun and cloud on saturday high 22 and then sunday 
Cloudy with a good chance of showers and a high of 19. But as we learned last week, the long the weekend forecast midweek means nothing because they were calling for sunshine as of last Thursday all through the long weekend. I like the way you think, McGarry. Yes. Uh, that's, that's very much a glass half full thinking. We had a terrific guest, uh, Ruth Abernethy. She is a sculptor. She has an amazing book, Life and Bronze, a sculptor's journal. And it is one of these amazing, I would call it a coffee table book. It's a pictorial history of some of the incredible bronze sculptures that Ruth has created over the years. Uh, Oscar Peterson, also John McRae, who wrote uh, Flanders Field, uh, that poem, and uh, many others, including uh, the world's largest black bear. Yes. And that black bear has a name. Yes. Do you remember what it is? I do. Do you? I do. Do our listeners remember? 204-780-6868. If you want to take this book home, Life and Bronze, a sculptor's journal, you need to be able to name the bear, the black bear that she sculpted. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. This, this is a bear that weighed 812 pounds when it died. It was uh, Hang on a second here. Let me just pull up the information on this bear. Immortalized in, I believe, Rossburn, Manitoba. Correct. Uh, let's see. It is 812 pounds and estimated to stand nearly 8 feet tall. It's just a massive bear, and she, ha- she created a sculpture that was essentially life-size. So it's just a great story, and... You need to, if you can name the bear, then you're going to get this book, Life in Bronze, a sculptor's journal. And if you'd like to get the book anyway, Ruth Abernethy will be at McNally Robinson tonight at 7.30, sharing some of her incredible stories and, you know, really a fascinating guest. Her her IQ and her intelligence really kind of dwarfed ours oh this afternoon. You could tell that it was more of a lecture student sort of situation with Brett and I today. So uh, we don't mind putting ourselves in those situations, especially uh, when you uh, reflect on the stories and the experiences that, that Ruth has had over her incredible life. I always wonder when our guests are... Way, and I certainly don't want to suggest they're smarter than you, but she was way smarter than I am. And oh, I, both I always us. wonder if she can see into my eyes where I'm thinking, I don't really understand what you're <laughs> saying right now, but it sounds really cool. You're really interesting, but I'm not nearly as smart as you are. No, no, you just, that's the old nod knowingly. In sales, it's called the Sullivan nod, I believe. And that's where you reaffirm your purchaser's decision by by nodding and agreement and mimicking and and mirroring (laughs) body image. Yes, oh, yeah, the the Dom Perignon. Yes, okay, good. And you nod all the way along, and that way they feel as though you're speaking the same language and so yeah, that that works for, works for me too. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. I think he's actually got a winner. Do you have a winner, Jeff? That didn't Forte? take long. Oh, I got a winner. What is the person's name? Michelle La Lapointe. Sorry, I almost, <laughs> almost said the book name. Lapointe. Michelle Lapointe. Congratulations, you have won a copy of Life in Bronze, a sculptor's journal by Ruth Abernethy. What was the name of the black bear, Greg Mackling? Oh. Uh, Oh, bo- oh, I forgot it now. You forgot it? Yeah. <laughs> it's Duke. Oh, Duke. Oh, I had it. <laughs> and then you put me on the spot. <laughs> Son of a gun. We have more stuff to give away. Short-term memory. After Global News at 3.30. In the meantime, we'll have a quick look at your forecast and sports in two minutes. Duke the Bear. In Rossburn, they call it Duke Fest. It's not yes. a fighting thing. 
It's in honor of Duke the Bear, the world's largest black bear immortalized in bronze. Who won the book? That was, once again, Michelle Lapointe, who won the book Life in Bronze, a sculptor's journal, which is put together by Ruth Abernethy, who was our guest at 1.30 this afternoon, and she will be McNally Robinson's guest at 7.30 this evening for the book launch and signing. Once again, Life in Bronze, a sculptor's journal. Congratulations to you, Michelle LaPointe. I'm trying to find that story here. You ever left anything valuable on the roof of your car? Yep. <laughs> My buddy Rob, he's, I think he still gets mad at me, picked him up to go to a social. It was on the Grey Cup. I can't remember if it was the year the Bombers were, 2011. I think it might have been. Uh, either way, it was a fundraiser for uh, an old friend of mine, and I picked him up and when he saw that I didn't have a bomber jersey on or was wearing something else, he left his behind, put it on top of his car, and then when he left for work the next day, the jersey was still up there, and he drove it halfway down the street, and it ended up falling off. Fortunately, he got it back because the neighbor of his knew that it might be his, knocked on the door and asked him, are you missing something? <laughs> okay. So he got very fortunate. I was reminded of that story when we got this story across the uh, line today. When police pulled over a Tennessee couple and told them a body was lying on the trunk of their car, they thought it was a joke until they got out to look. I can't believe this. They found an unconscious man who had somehow remained on the trunk for about 14 miles. That's 23 kilometers. Give me a break. Driver Carl Webb tells reporters he had left the Memphis in May barbecue festival before the officer pulled them over. Thursday evening, Memphis police say in a statement that Officer Benjamin Huff noticed what appeared to be a man on the Black Ford Taurus, which was traveling about 65 miles per hour. So what's that, like 80 almost? That's 80. <clears throat> so imagine no, driving it's down... over yeah, 65 miles. It's over 100. No. 100 is 60. Uh, I'm just yeah. Gonna... Yeah, on. it's over 100, man. I don't think so. Okay. I'm not sure. 0.6 miles in a kilometer, so... Oh, yeah, 104. 104, baby. Okay, 60. So you're doing. A, uh, you're going around the perimeter. <laughs> yep. With a guy in your trunk. So Sounds reasonable. So they so pull him over, traveling about 65 miles per hour down an expressway, and pulled the car over. After alerting the couple, he woke the man who was disoriented and did not remember leaving the festival. No charges were filed. I just, I don't understand how any of this could happen. Because they, in order for it to go 14 miles, they would have not been able to, like, it means they didn't look outside, like, in the rearview mirror once while right. they were driving. Right. Because this guy, I saw a picture of it, this guy was covering their entire rear windshield. I, I think they, they should get the ticket for dangerous driving more than the guy who passed out on the trunk. Absolutely. How, how did you not realize? Yeah. I, I can't believe that no charges were filed against these people. And how did he hold on? If he's unconscious, how could he stay on a moving... Gravity, Brett. Gravity. Oh, I don't get it. So there you go. That's a weird story out of Memphis. <laughs> uh, before we forget, we have more stuff to give away. We have two Beat the Box Office tickets... To Steve Earle and the Dukes, Tuesday, September 26th at the Burton Cummings Theater. See that? The Dukes. Look at that. All ties together. Look at that. Tickets go on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. But you can be the box office right now. We know him as Steve Earle. 
But what is his full name? That will include the proper spelling. First, middle, last name, 204-780-6868. Again, what is Steve Earle's full name? 204-780-6868. If you know the answer, you could be going to see Steve Earle and the Dukes Tuesday, September 26th at Burton Cummings Theatre. Stephen George Earle? No. That's not it? No. Hmm. It's a good thing it wasn't. It's all I got. <laughs> the only guess I had. So, still to come this half hour, we're going to hear from Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham. I'm assuming Richard's going to talk a little bit more about his adventure today at WPG Cycle. Oh, and you know what? Before I forget, I wanted a couple of uh, text messages here. I'm just going to stop the music for this one because it's amusing me. Those two afternoon guys are idiots. Oh, you can do better. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Very much. (laughs) And Greg, who is a loyal listener, sent us a text earlier today. He says, hey, guys, I won a pair of Jericho tickets a couple of weeks back, but was told they weren't in yet. I've been recovering from an emergency appendectomy for the last bit and have been disconnected. Have they shown up? (laughs) Can I pop by and grab them? Sorry to be a bother. Hope you guys are having a good day. Good Lord, Greg. I'm glad to hear that you're having any kind of a day. No kidding. Whatsoever. He says, yeah, it was dicey. I was at death's door. No exaggeration. On the men now. I'll tune back in as soon as I'm more more mobile. Have a great day, guys. Thank you for the well wishes, Greg. I'm just glad to hear that you're doing okay. So thanks for reaching out. And don't worry, your your Jericho tickets are in no jeopardy. They're not here yet. It is 344 on 680 CJOB. Richard, Julie, weather, traffic, all coming up next. Can I talk now? My headphones are not working, so. Uh-oh. Was it safe for me to speak? I did. I broke them. You'll have to use those. You'll have to work around the corner. Sorry, Julie. That's the price you pay for an extra long weekend. You have to wear headphones you don't like. How was your extra Maybe long I can weekend? This over. Um, it was okay. It didn't feel like an extra long weekend. I guess with the lousy weather, I don't know. Like felt normally, like a holiday to us in the newsroom I'm yesterday. I'm sure it did. You're welcome. I could do it every week if you like. <laughs> Greg just likes to poke the bear. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm happy to oblige. (laughs) (laughs) Richard, you only uh, want to see me four days a week, two days a week. Richard, uh, well done this morning. You and Abicon raising a ton of money for Cancer Care Manitoba. Wow, and counting, and counting. Money still still flowing. Money is still flowing. You can help out, and uh, yeah, this is uh, going to breast cancer research uh, through Cancer Care Manitoba and the pledge ride. It happens June 4th at Assiniboine Downs for breast cancer. So because I don't ride a motorcycle, we decided to spin uh, to raise money to help support the motorcycle ride. Fantastic. That's man. how I roll, buddy. Well done. Well done. Or yeah. how he remains in place. <laughs> I, I must admit that um, I need to drink more water. I'm, Are you feeling a little I'm dehydrated? I'm feeling a little dehydrated. We went pedal to the metal. I think I took Abby to the brink. And, uh, you know, Abby was good when the cameras were rolling. As soon as the cameras went off, I could start to see, because I was looking at them straight ahead, I could start to see not necessarily the fear, not necessarily the frustration, but I saw the fatigue. I didn't see Abby any gone. of that. <laughs> you were, I that, didn't Julie? see you were any behind of me. that. I could see that. I could <laughs> see. I could see the behind, Let's just say being behind Cluche, not necessarily the best vantage point. 
We heard about There's the some shorts. Things you can't unsee. Yeah, that's what I said. Double yeah. the, the when shorts. When Matt Cardi arrived, I'm like, you might want to go around the front. He's like, why? I'm like, just trust a veteran here on this yeah. one. On a very, what was it? On a somebody said to me on a very sunny day, there was a moon arise at the uh, Winnipeg. Oh, Cycle it rose Studios. up from its chair. Let yeah, me tell you. you. There you go. But it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, more Just on, watching. Yeah, more on that after five. In our four o'clock hour, uh, dialing up the drug dealers as we continue our six-month investigation. Bruce McFarland will rejoin us. We've got new information coming up in the four o'clock hour. As well, we'll go to Ottawa, where our global national team is tracking uh, the Chinese embassy on their reaction to the story. And uh, we'll also um, play for you some of the interview that we did with uh, RCMP here. They're not disclosing their tactics, but they're certainly acknowledging the problem that they're dealing with uh, in Manitoba, uh, certainly across Canada as well. That's coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Were you shocked at how easy it was to order this stuff? Uh, six months ago, I think I came out to the newsroom and I was just kind of, wow, I could not believe how easy this was. And Bruce McFarland, uh, former Deputy Attorney General of Manitoba, this is one of his passions. He is a, an author, he's a law professor, and uh, he did it on his home computer. And um, it just amazes me how easy it is to peel that onion. And, you know, we think about drugs and we think about organized crime, right? You think about three or four organized crime groups. What's happened with fentanyl is that um, the postal system has allowed locals to get into this. And you talk about honor amongst thieves and, you know, the question that always gets asked, well, you know, why would anybody want to kill off their customers? Well, the problem is that some of the people that are ordering this online don't know what they're doing and they're mixing it wrongly and they're getting it into the hands of of known addicts, of people that are hooked on fentanyl and because they're so inexperienced, people are dying. And you certainly have seen that in British Columbia. You're seeing it in Alberta. And the fear here is that we will see it here as early as this summer as these things usually happen in waves and it's traveling from west to east. So we so got you can some... order it. Is it easy for it to get here? Yes. I can get it to you, to your doorstep, tomorrow morning. That easy. Wow. Speechless. I mean, I know that's not a good uh, trait for someone who hosts a radio program, but I'm speechless in this case. What else are you following uh, for us, Julie? Let's let's talk about something fun. Over 15,000 students at Investors Group Field today. All of Pemina Trail's school division there to celebrate Canada's 150th birthday. Almost 3,000 kids of that 15,000 playing from their seats, O Canada, as part of the, the massive band program at Pemina Trails. So we'll talk to Ted Franson about what it was like to pull off putting all those 15,000 kids into nice. the stadium to celebrate Canada's birthday. We've got tickets to the Beer Festival. So that speaks to some of you. And, Speaks uh, to me. And uh, we'll have some fun along so the way. So you're going to outdo what we did yesterday in your absence? I don't even we know did, what you did yesterday. We did cheese or beer. And it took two segments to get a winner on this. Cheese or beer? You is put it out cheese? a name, whether it's yeah, a che- whether cheese, it's cheese or beer. Cheese or beer. Mm-hmm. And oh, we, stumped, we stumped about 10 people. It was people. very I'm creative. In, I'm impressed. It was all I'm, done in your honor. Well, I am impressed. I am impressed. And uh, something that should impress 
Brett McGarry. Got Chris Jancelowitz on. He writes entertainment for globalnews.ca and cjob.com. And a Stepping big, out of my boy again, huh? Just a little bit. Mm-hmm. A big trailer released today, so we'll have some audio of that. Thank you, Julie Buckingham, Richard Cluche. Thanks uh, for the work that you do. Thanks for getting us home safe and informed from 4 till 7 right here on 680 CJOB. And based on what Julie just said, I suspect winter is coming to the news from 4 until 7. Thank you, Richard and Julie and Greg Mackling and Jeff Forte and <laughs> Master Control. See what yeah, he did. And brilliant guy. That's all the time we have. Thanks for, to you for listening to Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.